Good morning, family. Thank you for joining us. Today, Pastor Louis launches a new sermon series. He will look at how God moved in the book of Acts, how the disciples and the early church responded and how we can respond to God's movement, even during challenging times. For an extra dose of encouragement, watch Pastor Louis further unpack Sunday's message during his weekly online devotional, which starts up again this Tuesday at 9 a.m. Tune in via YouTube or Facebook. For now, let's allow the Holy Spirit to move in and through us in worship. For the King and His Kingdom Victorious Lord of all
circumstances you reign Lord such a supernatural joy and it's a joy that bubbles up from deep just as we're worshiping here it's not a joy that's superficial or maybe even tied to emotions but I just sense as we're worshiping here this morning that we experience this depth of the Lord and the joy that just bubbles up as we put our trust in him you know he called Peter who was maybe not such a stable guy, he called him, Peter, you're the rock. And the Lord just says that about us. He says, I put my spirit in you. I put my hope in you. You are an ambassador for the nations. You're an ambassador to the people around you. And sometimes I go like, I don't know <laughs> if I'm even qualified, but the Lord has put his spirit in me. The Lord has put his spirit in you. And so as we continue to worship, just allow what he's poured out into you just to be broken open and let the grace of God flow in your life today. Thank you, Lord. In the crushing
Yes, Lord, we want to come and just declare our absolute love for you today, that you are our everything and that we are so dependent on you. Thank you, Lord, for your nearness to us and that in times of challenge and in times of difficulty, we feel your presence. We are so aware of your love for us, of your care, your provision. And we just come in this moment right now, Father, and we find a place of rest in you, that you can strengthen our spirits, that you can lift us up and that you can show us the way forward. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we always do during this time of the service, we worship the Lord through our giving. So as you see the prompts come on your screen, please won't you get ready to give your tithes and your offerings. I know most of you do it at a later time and you, you pay in through the week and really want to honor you and thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving. 
But right now, you can also make use of the SnapScan. It's very easy. If you haven't got SnapScan, why don't you just download that from your App Store or your Play Store and um, just make use of that through your bank account and uh, the money goes off and uh, we receive it. And thank you so much for your giving. So right now, just uh, follow the prompts and give as you have purposed in your heart to give. Well, I'm really just thrilled today to be with you and to be sharing the word. And today we're starting our series that'll take us uh, all the way towards Easter. And the title of this series is Moving with God. And we want to talk about how do we respond to the Lord and what He's doing in our time. And to do that, we're going to take the book of Acts and we're going to take a journey through the book of Acts. Because I think the book of Acts does an amazing job of showing us how a group of believers in the context of quite challenging times was able to continue unhindered to do the calling and the work of the Lord for their time. And uh, we're going to not follow it, you know, sort of word for word, the book of Acts, but we're going to take a look at portions and we're going to talk about how do we as individuals and how do we as a community respond to the Lord and He's moving in our time so that the work of the building of the kingdom and the spreading of the gospel will continue. And uh, I think it's something we all wrestle with at this time. We, we constricted, we we are not able to move, and um, therefore it was important for us to choose the word move with God in our title for this series, because it plays off against the reality that we can't really move. We are told to stay indoors, we are told to limit our movement, but we must not confuse that with the fact that the gospel is hindered at this time. The gospel can move. And so when Paul, uh, when Luke, sorry, you, I think you all know that Luke wrote two volumes of the New Testament, and the first part of that was the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts um, as a, a historical rendition, or, or, or he captures for us what happened both in the ministry of Jesus and uh, then through the ministry of the church. And he writes to us to show us how the Gospel kept on advancing. And um, you'll see on our, on our logo for this term, there's a wave, for instance. And we chose that wave because it, it shows to us that there's a wave of the move of God that starts in Genesis. When God created man and he, his intention was to create a community with man and him at the center. And therefore he made a covenant with us that said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that, that wave went throughout the Old Testament and, and the Jewish people became the, the instrument of how God was teaching us who He is and teaching His law to us and the way to live as people. And that happened through the Jewish people. And then the Messiah came in the New Testament. And, and from Matthew, we read the story of the Messiah that came, that, that was a promise to the Jews that was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came as God with us, the Messiah. And, and then through the Gospels, we have this amazing story that is recorded for us by the, the writers of the Gospel as they showed us the, the works of Jesus and how Jesus Jesus was God among us. And then we know that Jesus was crucified and finally ascended and went to heaven. But the story doesn't end there. The wave didn't die out there. That wave that started in Genesis then continued through the, the early believers in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is this amazing portion of scripture that links the stories of Jesus to the writings of the epistles of the apostles. But the book of Acts tells us how this wave continued on, even after Jesus had left. <clears throat> and in a sense, the book of Acts never ends. It ends in its time frame and the story that it tells. But it's this continuation of this wave. And today we are still part of this wave. This wave of the gospel of the Lord Jesus that tells the story of God with us, building a community with Him at the center, that He is our God and He is our people, that He loves us. That story continued throughout history, and we are playing our part today in that wave continuing. So that wave is growing, is carrying on, is reaching more people. And despite COVID-19, or in the midst of COVID-19, we want to see that wave continue. We want to see that wave build stronger. And therefore, you'll see that wave in our, in our logo that we've chosen. And every time you see that wave, please just let it remind you that you and I are part of that wave. And we want to make sure that the wave continues 
in the context of the restrictions of COVID-19, the economic realities, the social difficulties we are facing, everything that's going on in our world, if the, if the people in the book of Acts was able, in the midst of their challenges, to play their part in the continuing of this wave and respond to the move of God, then surely we can do the same in our time and the wave can build. And um, so that's why we're going to take a look, look at the book of Acts and use that as a structure for our story. Now, when we begin with the book of Acts, just a couple of things I want to say so that we, we understand about the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote it in a particular style of the day, which was how Greeks wrote their history. And there's a couple of things that you have to look out for when you read the book of Acts in how Greeks uh, understood history to work and how they would um, uh, record their history. Uh, Polybius, for instance, said that when Greeks wrote his history, they considered personal observation and participation in events, travel, inquiry, and the, the, the consultation of eyewitnesses. So <clears throat> when Luke wrote the, the history, he was part of that history, he, and he recorded what eyewitnesses were saying of the history that happened after the, after the passing of Jesus, or the, the ascension of Jesus, sorry, I should, the ascension of Jesus, until the, uh, the early church. And we read that in Acts 1, verse 1 to 2. He says the following, In my former book, Theophilus, the former book being Luke, and both the book of Luke and the book of Acts is written to this person named Theophilus. Now, we don't know much about Theophilus. We don't know who he was. History tells us that he probably was a wealthy, influential person that became a believer and that had some questions about Christianity and wanted a deeper understanding of Christianity. So Paul write, uh, Luke writes to Theophilus and he says, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he says, that's the first volume. Now I'm continuing. The story is continuing. And I'm recording this story for you, this history of what happened. Some of the instruments the Greeks used when they wrote history is they would, they would develop a history around chronology, but also geography. And we see that in the book of Acts. Uh, Luke records the story for us and he unfolds it chronologically as it happens over time. But he also unfolds it as it spreads geographically, the gospel, from Jerusalem to Rome. Another way that they wrote their history is they built it around uh, narratives and speeches. And we see that in the book of Acts. It's the story that's being told of what happened in the history. And then interspersed every now and then we see a sermon, a speech that is given that becomes a marked point that with the unfolding of that history. And Luke does the same. He writes these things. So when Luke records for us the history in the book of Acts, he writes us from his own personal perspective as being part of that history. But he still wrote Acts in a way that is, explains history objectively. So it's this weaving together of the personal experience. He interprets for us in the way that he, that he says these are important events and this event led to that event. But he does it in a historically accurate way. And when uh, the book of Acts is studied and, and even by outside sources and non-biblical sources, it is found to be accurate in how it records the times of the history. But it's not just a historical record. It's also a, a, the telling of God's purposes and plans and how that unfolds. Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, the last point I want to make in that is, is he accurately describes to us how the early church, uh, the unfolding and the happening of the early church. But he does it in a way that is not prescribing to us, but describing. What I mean by that is he's, he's not prescribing to us today how the church should be. He's describing how the church operated in that time and in that context. There's surely there's much lessons we can learn from that. But sometimes people make the mistake of thinking we can take the, 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 the things we see the early church do in the book of Acts, and that's prescriptive to us, and we must copy that. So if they met in small homes, we must meet in small homes. If we're not meeting in small homes, then we're not like the book of Acts. Then we're not the New Testament church. That's not how Paul, the Luke recorded the book of Acts. He's showing to us how it happened and what happened, and then he's inferring lessons to us that we can draw and principles. And those are the things that we want to focus on. We don't want to get stuck with, this is the way they did it, therefore that's the way we must do it. Unless it's told to us that that's the case, 
we, we need to look for the principles. And so those are a couple of things that I want to say about the book of Acts. And I'll, I'll remind you of that as we study through the book of Acts. And, or not study the book of Acts, but as we journey through this amazing book. But for today, I want to start with a, a little bit of a later section about the book of Acts. And, um, and uh, just, oh, sorry, I forgot to say this. One of the, the, the key things we must look for when we read the book of Acts is uh, what Luke says he's, he's writing to, to make sure that we have a, a, a thorough understanding of how things happened and unfolded. Um, and for Theophilus, he particularly wanted to explain to him, this is what really happened. Because there were other narratives that were building around the New Testament church. They were being blamed for things. They were seen as troublemakers. But he writes the story and he says, I want you to know accurately. And we see that in Luke 1, verse 1 to 4. When he starts his first volume, he says the following. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theosophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And that's the wonderful thing for us. What the book of Acts does for us today is we read it, and we read the narrative of it, and, we, and, and the speeches and the preaching. We get a, a certainty about the things that have been taught us, so that we can trust it. We can trust this narrative. This is not somebody's made-up imagination. This is a trustworthy account that we can rely on. And I want to read to you also the last words of the book of Acts. In Acts 28, verse 28, uh, 30 and 31. Therefore I want to, you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For the two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. That's in Rome. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The story of the book of Acts is this amazing account of how God is moving among Jews and Gentiles. And the story is that inclusive story that shows how the gospel found a home in all kinds of people, whether it was rich or poor, whether it was male or female, whether it was Jew or Gentile, Roman or Greek. The, the gospel, wherever it went, it found a home. It found people that believed in it, that started spreading this gospel. It's this amazing story of a gospel that was spread by people with boldness and without hindrance. Even when they were put in prison, like Paul, it didn't hinder him. And that's the amazing thing of the gospel. You cannot stop the gospel from being spread. So right now, we are in our natural sense hindered. But can I tell you, that does not stop the gospel from being spread. And we will see that throughout the book of Acts with, with boldness and without hindrance. And obviously, we know that that boldness that these people had became, was because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that later in the series. It was a response to the activation of the Holy Spirit that gave them this boldness. And one of the key characters of the book of Acts is Peter. And that's what we want to do today is look at Peter and how Peter was transformed by the working of the Holy Spirit to become one of these people that stood up in boldness to spread the gospel and to see the gospel advance without any hindrance. And we'll talk more about him throughout our, our, our journey in, in Acts. But today I want to start with Acts 1 and verse 12. And uh, Acts 1 verse 12 tells us, Then the apostle returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So they were just outside of the city after Jesus had ascended. You know, he ascended from the Mount of Olives and, and they were in that area. And, uh, and then they went back into Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. So many of them were staying in this, this place that had this upper room. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So can you see them? They, they, they've just seen Jesus ascended into heaven. They've just experienced you know, about seven weeks before that, uh, before this time, somewhere six to seven weeks, but they, they just experienced the traumatic event of, of the crucifixion of Jesus and everything around that. And so now Jesus has left them. And, and they're sort of in a state of now, what next? What, what's going to happen from here? Jesus has been speaking to them about the kingdom and about advancing the kingdom. But, and then he said to them, go to Jerusalem and wait. 
And so here they are. They're waiting. They're waiting in the, in the upper room. And the story tells us further in verse 15. In those days, in, while they were there, in the upper room, praying, waiting for the Lord, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So while they were praying, Peter gets up. And he assumes a leadership position in that moment. What he does is, he first of all helps them come to terms with what, is, what has happened and what is going on. With some of the traumatic events. And I can so relate to that. It's one of the major tasks of a leader in, in our context here today. In COVID-19 and all the struggles and the realities of that. And, and now the deaths that we are seeing. It's so important for leaders to help people understand what's going on. And to give them meaning to the events. And this is what Peter does. He stands up and he says, listen. We've been through a traumatic event, and we have experienced the loss of one of our own. Now, we know what it's like, how terrible it is. Just now, in this time, it's, we feel it so keenly with all the people that are dying of COVID-19. The mourning, the loss of, of losing a loved one. Now, you add to that the loss of a loved one because of betrayal, and it makes it a little bit harder even to deal with, all the more. Remember, they were three and a half years, they were together, every day almost, spent many meals together, many nights together, many kilometers of walking together with Jesus with, and Judas. He was part of them. He was a brother for them. They loved each other. And then suddenly things went horribly wrong. As Judas went and betrayed Jesus and became the guide, the instrument that brought the people to Jesus so they could arrest him and, and crucify him. And Peter says, this happened. And it was very fresh in their hearts and in their minds. Like I said, this happened about somewhere between 40 and 50 days ago that they experienced this terrible event. Judas betrayed them. And Peter says, this happened. He was one of us. He shared in our ministry. But then he, he, he goes further and he says, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field there where he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. And he, and he says this was a terrible event. We know what happened. But for Peter said in verse 20, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with, with us of his resurrection. So, so Peter in that moment says, not only this had to happen. We have to understand that somehow Jesus was going to be betrayed. So this terrible event that happened, let us not... Allow that to, be, to stop our movement. Let us not allow that to become such a thing that happened that we can't move forward. We've got to move forward. And he does the second thing that I've, I again relate to with so much in, in a time of crisis. Where leaders have to not only help people deal with the reality of their struggles. Give meaning to that moment. But then also point them to keep moving forward. To keep going on. And he says, listen guys. Judas did this terrible thing, betrayed Jesus. Jesus died. We've been through all this trauma. But that's not the end. We have to move forward. So we've got some administration to do here. We have to fill Judas's position. We have to choose somebody to replace Judas because our movement needs leaders and it needs to continue on. What an amazing thing. Peter assumes that position of leadership. But when you read that, your mind... I don't know about you, but my mind can't help but go towards Peter's own denial of Jesus. And in a sense, I, I sort of think, wow. How is it that Peter in that moment can stand up and take a position of leadership 
and even be supported and allowed by the others to take a position of leadership if he himself failed so badly. Not, again, 40 to 50 days ago, somewhere in that time frame. You'll remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. Now, I don't know about you, but in, in a humanity, I can, I, I can just understand that how does, you, how does Peter move from that terrible denial of Jesus to having the boldness in that moment to stand up and give direction to the body? Surely he must have felt disqualified. He must have felt that I don't have a right to speak. How can I speak about Judas's failure if I've also failed myself? What happened in between? And that's the story I want us to spend a little bit of time on today. Just to remind you, let's go back to Luke 22. In Luke 22, verse 61 and 62, uh, this event happened. Where, remember, before that, when they were having the, the, the Last Supper, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny me three times. Before the cock crows, you will deny me. And then later that evening, after Jesus had been arrested and beaten, this event happened. In verse 61 of Luke 22, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter in that courtyard, when confronted by people that said, you know Jesus, you're one of them. He said, I have nothing to do with him. I don't know him. He denied knowing Jesus. What a horrible moment of disappointment. The scripture says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. The humiliation, the disappointment that Peter experienced. In his wonderful book, Absolute Surrender, Andrew Murray writes about this event. And if there's a, a book you can read in this time, it's a short book, it's not a long book, uh, that will really encourage you. I want to encourage you, get Absolute Surrender from Andrew Murray and read that book. But in that, he, he talks about Peter in this moment, and, and I, I read what he says. He says, what hopeless despair and shame he must have felt. My Lord is gone, my hope is gone, and I denied my Lord. That love of my life, after that blessed fellowship of three years, I denied my Lord. God, have mercy upon me. Peter must have felt so ashamed, so broken after that moment how does it happen that that ashamed peter can stand up in the upper room and say come on guys let's let's deal with the past but let's move forward what gives him the right to do that now we know that fortunately that wasn't the end of peter's story because we must remember that his shame and his humiliation was compounded by the claims that he made that when Jesus told him that was going to happen and that Jesus was going to suffer and that, they will, that, his, that, his, that his followers will leave him, in Mark 14, verse 29, it's recorded for us where Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. So he said, Lord, I can understand the others not going through with you, but I will not. I will never leave you. And even in Luke 22, verse 33, earlier that evening, before he denied Christ, he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He made these bold claims and then he denied Jesus. He firmly believed in his ability, his capacity, his strength to stick with Christ and that he had what it takes. Only later that evening to discover he didn't have what it takes. And that compounded it all the more for him, the shame, the humiliation and the disappointment. Because he claimed that he could do this. Later on, after Jesus had appeared to them already twice and had been teaching them, we find that Peter is still struggling. And even though when Jesus is talking about the future, Peter is probably not seeing that he has a part to play in that future. He, he possibly feels that he has been disqualified. He disqualified himself. That his true nature, his true character has been revealed. That God can't rely on him. That God can't. You remember those amazing words when Jesus said to Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And we know he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the revelation. So long before there was a, you know, Dwayne Johnson, the rock, there was Peter, the rock man. He was the guy. And, and, and he was this larger than life character and, and, and natural leader. 
But after all of these events, he's, he's not that man anymore. He's probably withdrawn quiet. And at some point we read in John 21, verse 3, he says to his friends, I'm going out to fish. It was a great teaching by Bob Mumford where he spoke about going fishing, going back to fishing. So Peter, in a sense, says, it's been amazing to be with Jesus, but I've, I, I can't go any further. I'm going back to what I've known before I met Jesus, and I'm going to carry on with my life. And I'll always love Jesus, but I don't have a part to play in the future. I'm going to fish. And the rest said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. What a, I mean, to add insult to injury, Peter feels he's a failure as a follower of Jesus, as a leader, as a disciple of Christ. He goes back fishing, and even that fails. He must have felt like so desperate and so despondent. But the story continues, and I'm not going to read it all for us, but it's recorded in John 21, where early in the morning, when it, it wasn't properly light yet, that they were coming back to shore, having caught nothing all night long, straining, struggling, not catching anything. Jesus was on the shore. Now, they didn't know it was Jesus. I find this interesting. I'd like to meditate it on some more. They didn't know it was Jesus, the scripture tells us. So this man, who they didn't know it was Jesus, tells them, asks them, have you caught anything? They said, no, we've caught nothing. He said, go back and catch on the other side. And so they were so desperate that they listened to what this man said. Remember, they didn't know it was Jesus. The scripture tells us clearly. Only once they've caught the fish, you know, and they caught this bumper, like, uh, you know, catch of fish, 153 large fish, the scripture says, amazing that the nets didn't tear. They come back on shore, then that they recognize it was Jesus, and the other disciples tells Peter, it's Jesus. Then Peter gets all excited, you know, girds up his, his, his garment, jumps in the water, runs towards Jesus, showing you know, that's who Peter is, this impetuous guy, this passionate person. And he runs towards Jesus. And Jesus is making breakfast for them on the beach. He's got some fish and he's frying the fish for them. And they sit down and he has just a moment with his friends. And they're sharing breakfast, but at a specific point in the breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter. And he asks him one question. Amazing how God can do that. We've all experienced that. How God can ask you one question that cuts right through all the bravado, all the, the, the pretense, all the, the masks that just goes to the heart of our, our hearts and to the, the, to the kernel of the matter of our lives. And he asks Peter this question in John 21 verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Wow. What an awkward moment for Peter. Ray, among the friends that heard him say to Jesus, I love you more than them because even if they leave you, I'll go with you to prison. So when Jesus asks that question, he takes him right back into that embarrassing moment, into that moment of humiliation. He asks Peter. He doesn't skirt around it. And, and I think we've got to recognize that some, often in our lives, God will do that with us. He's prepared to, to cut right through our nonsense and to reveal our most humiliating moments. He doesn't dare that because he wants to belittle us, but because he wants us to get past that. Because he has a future for us. He has more for us. He doesn't want those moments of failure to define our lives. He says, if you allow me, I will take you beyond your moments of failure. That's the grace of God. We spoke about it last week. That's the grace of God. But, but God doesn't ignore those moments. He doesn't say, oh, well, Peter, let's forget about that. Let's just carry on. No, he deals with those moments. He goes right into those moments. Because Peter cannot come, continue on in his role in the church and in the future of what God's work wants to do if he does not deal with that moment. He cannot just hide that moment and, and, and you know just leave it. He has to deal with it. He has to come to terms with it. So Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? And, and if you read the scripture, I won't continue. Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. He doesn't say more than these. He just says, Lord, you know. You know me. I've been found by you. You've opened me up. You have seen everything, Lord. You know me. You know I love you, but my, my, I fail. I'm weak. You know my weakness, but I love you. And Jesus asks him that three questions three times. And some think he asked him three times to cancel out the three denials. And every time he says, feed my sheep, 
tend my lambs. He, he instructs Peter. He actually tells Peter, I recognize your failure. And he brings restoration and healing to people, Peter's failure. And then he says, and I commission you to carry on to do the work that I've called you to do. And he restores Peter. And Peter is able to, in that time, begin to find his strength. Not in himself this time, but in the Lord. I think an important point, again, that Andrew Murray makes in his book, Absolute Surrender. He's, he makes this point. He says, what Jesus was saying to Peter is, you will either deny yourself or you will deny me. But you have to deny something. Remember, we spoke about it a couple of years ago, about what is a disciple. A disciple is somebody that Jesus said, you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Remember that scripture in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, must they deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to go with me, you have to deny yourself. And then Matthew 26, verse 34, Jesus said to him, to Peter, I truly, I say that you this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You either deny God or you, uh, or you, you either deny yourself or you will deny God. You see, if we become too important in our lives, there's a point where we can't carry on with Jesus. There's a point that it becomes too much for us to give. Too much for us that he's asking of us. Because I'm important to myself. Then we will stop following Jesus. But if we continue to deny. And here Peter had to come to a point where he had to recognize that he had to deny himself. Deny his own hurt. His own humiliation in a sense. Not let that become a point of pride in a, in a weird way where, where it's, it's so important to him, it's so definitive in his life that he failed Jesus that he can't carry on with Jesus. He had to give his brokenness to Jesus and say, Lord, you know me. You know me. And despite my failure and my potential to fail again and the humiliation that, will, that has come and that may come with my future failure, I give you my life, Lord, and whatever you want to do with it. Peter had to come at that place. The problem that Peter had is so much the same as what we have before he came to this point of really understanding what denying himself means is, is that we don't understand God's ways. We don't understand God's processes. Remember that occasion where Jesus started telling the disciples about how he had to suffer and how he had to die and all the terrible things that were going to happen to him. And then in Matthew 16 verse 22, it tells us that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, and because our lives is so much about ourselves, we, we tend to interpret and think about everything, about how it affects me and from our perspective. And we struggle to put our minds on the things of God. And I find it fascinating here that Peter could not understand how Jesus' suffering could serve the purposes of God. And don't you and I have the same problem? How we struggle to think that suffering can, can be used by God for His purposes. Not caused by God, but used by God for His purposes. And particularly Peter when he looked at Jesus and he said, how can you suffer? Because you are innocent. You have never committed any sin. You have never done anything wrong. You cannot suffer Jesus. And he rebuked Jesus. And isn't that so much? When we, when we see people suffer, we go, how can the innocent suffer? Now, I, God doesn't answer that question. But, and, and it's hard for us to often answer that question. But can I tell you that there's only truly been one innocent person on this planet, and that's Jesus. And yet he suffered so much. So he was with us. He's with us. And understanding that. But he had the capacity that Jesus had to understand how the suffering that he had to go through was necessary to do the work. To see God's kingdom built. And therefore he had to rebuke Peter. He said, you're a stumbling block because you cannot put your minds on the things of Christ. But in this moment, as he's working with Peter... And the Holy Spirit comes. 
And in, before Jesus departed and ascended to heaven, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, the Holy Spirit is working in Peter. And remember that time where Peter did say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that, which I spoke about earlier. And, and God said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. By the Spirit, we do have the ability to put our minds on the things of God. It can happen. But that can only happen to the level that we deny ourselves. That we put our own opinions second. That we put our own understanding, our own perspective second to God's perspective. And the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. And that's what the Holy Spirit did in Peter. And that's why when it came to that day of Pentecost, uh, after Pentecost, or before Pentecost, sorry. And, and they're in the upper room and they, they come into terms with this terrible trauma that they've struggled. That Peter could stand up as a leader despite his own failing. And why the people could receive him as a leader even if they've seen him fail so horribly. They, Nobody said, hey, Peter, sit down. You don't have any right to speak. Or, or mumble, mumbled amongst each other and murmured and said, oh, you know, why, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? No, because they understood that when God calls us, it's not so much about what we bring. It's not about our strength. Our calling's never built on our strength. It's built on our surrender to him. Now, our strengths play a role. I can remember when I was in my sort of mid to late 20s, after some really personal disappointments, my own failings in my own character and, and circumstances that were around me, I came to a point where for the first time in my life doubted and felt like God can't use me because I saw my own weakness. And as I was processing, processing that and praying, one day the Lord said to me, you need to understand that I will use you not because of your strengths, but because I've decided and your weakness cannot disqualify you. Now, I'm not saying I don't have to deal with my weaknesses. But it's that life of saying, Lord, I can fail. I can possibly fail you in the future. And that will humiliate me. But it's okay, Lord, if that serves your purpose. I will give you everything. It's that kind of surrender that when the Holy Spirit comes and moves on a person like that, where there's an empowering that takes place, that can see the kingdom of God advance and not be hindered. If we had to advance the gospel of Jesus on our strength and our abilities, it, we would be hindered and we would fail. That's why the, spirit, the scripture says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. The spirit moving on a people that are surrendered before God. I saw this recently, a, a little acronym for joy. If you want to know joy in your life, somebody said you've got to understand that J-O-Y means the following. Joy, Jesus first. O, others second. Y, yourself last. If you want to know the joy of serving Christ, of seeing the gospel advance unhindered in these times with all these challenges that we face, we have to say, Lord, you first. Others second, myself last or yourself last. And we will see the gospel advanced unhindered. And as I'm coming to an end, that's why we see this transformation in Peter. There was worked in him by Christ a point of complete surrender. And then the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon him. And after the Holy Spirit's been poured out on Peter, we, for instance, read in Acts 5, verse 27 to 30, this amazing thing that we see Peter do. And, and he says they were being persecuted by the Jews and, and taken aside and told that they shouldn't speak the gospel. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Can you see the boldness and the strength that is in Peter that now says, I have to obey God more than human beings. Now, please understand in the context, he was not saying that we don't obey the, the human laws. And, and throughout Acts, you'll see how Christianity is proven to always have been found innocent by the, the governments of the day of insurrection and disobeying the law. and any, That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, if I have to give my life for this gospel, I'd rather do that than be kept safe by staying within the confines of what people expected. I want to pray for us today. We are all busy with the Lord in these times. Or let, he's busy with us. 
I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I, I would guess that there's something of the Holy Spirit working in us to make sure that our surrender to Him is an absolute surrender. So that there's an outpouring of the Spirit. And we believe we are, we are beginning to step into a new outpouring of the Spirit, of a move of God. That's why we're talking about moving with God. But if you want to move with God, if you want to ride this wave forward and play your part in this wave, then let's learn from Peter and this encounter, this narrative of Peter, that he had to come to that point of surrender. And we'll see it time and again through other people also in the book of Acts, that same pattern. So let's pray together today. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together for us to just consider these amazing stories. And thank you for the lives of people like Peter and the other followers of Christ, the other disciples. And Lord, we want to come and recognize that we have a part to play now. We have a role to play in seeing this wave of the gospel of the Lord Jesus unhinderedly going forward in our time. And therefore, we need to be strengthened and empowered by your spirit. And so we ask that you would help us, Lord, that we would come and surrender before you. Whatever our concerns, whatever our fears are, whatever we think should be happening, we, we surrender that all to you. And we say, Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ and the mind of God in these situations, not our own minds and not our own understanding. But we empty ourselves and we say, come, Holy Spirit, help us to surrender to Jesus so that he can commission us and send us and empower us by his spirit. And we thank you for that. I pray for every person. I pray for every household today. I speak your favor, your blessing over them. I speak over them that they will know you in these times. That they will know you. The one who gives us the victory. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with me today and for listening to this message. I trust that you've been encouraged. If you want to connect with somebody, just follow the prompts at the end of the, of the, of the service and they will show you how to, to, to connect with people that are waiting to connect with you or send an email and somebody will respond to you in due course. So may the Lord bless you. Remember next week we are again on this platform, 9.30 Sunday morning, 103 FM. You can listen in on or you can join us via social media platforms for an, uh, our second part of our series, Move With God. May the Lord bless you. family, we have some great opportunities for you to enrich your life and to move with God. Are you considering learning a new skill? Why not take up music lessons through our Hatfield Art Center? We offer 30-minute lessons in most contemporary and classical instruments. All ages and skill levels are welcome. Send an email to hack at hatfield.co.za by the 18th of January to register or for more information. Students, matriculants, and young adults, listen up. Our upcoming Young Adult Focused Life Training School will help you lay some solid biblical foundations, prepare you for campus and work life, and teach you how to apply your Christian faith in current issues. Start 2021 strong and don't miss out on this special one-month long discipleship journey kicking off on the 1st of February. Email Karen at hla at hatfield.co.za for more information. If you've graduated from high school and are between the ages of 18 and 23, fill your gap year with a life-changing opportunity. Year of Your Life is our full-time gap year program which aims to anchor you in God and prepare you for life. Visit our website www.yoyl.co.za for more information. If you find yourself struggling during this extended lockdown, we offer emotional, mental, and spiritual support to individuals, couples, and families through online courses and free counseling. Contact our Hope Center by emailing hope at hatfield.co.za or visit their Facebook page at Hatfield Hope Center. That's all from me. May you experience the mighty move of God as you trust in Him in these challenging and uncertain times. Blessings.